So this week, as I like to do in the preamble, is, is talk about something that kind of leads into the, the sermon. And I would like to talk about a discussion that Nicholas and I had last week. And he has a Bible class at school, and a lot of times they get into these interesting discussions, and they bring up questions and kind of work through the theology of it. And one of the questions that they had in class was, does God ever leave man? Like in the case of Saul, where Saul uh, was an Old Testament, he prophesied, and because of, of his willful disobedience, the Holy Spirit left him. And I think when you look at a big topic like that, you have to look at a lot of different instances to see what is actually going on in the life of these people. Why did that happen to Saul? Because it, it drove him mad. When the Holy Spirit left him, he had nothing. He, was, he just went Looney Tunes, you know? And, and I think if you compare that to David, well, David, he did some willful disobedience himself, didn't he? Remember he went and he killed Uriah the Hittite so he could have adultery with his wife? Oh my goodness, that seems a lot worse than what Saul did. That was willful disobedience. But there was a difference between David and Saul. A huge difference between David and Saul is that David had a different attitude because when he was approached by Nathan the prophet and Nathan called him out and said, look, what are you doing, man? You're messing up left and right. You're, you have willfully disobeyed the command of the Lord. Remember what David did? He, re, he responded in repentance. He fell down before God. And he legitimately understood the fact that he had affected his relationship with Christ, with God. And he said, I will not do this anymore, and I repent of this. I turn away from it. Saul didn't do that. He always was willfully disobedient and continued on in that. Even when he said he was sorry, he wasn't sorry. He was just sorry he got caught. Repenting isn't being sorry you got caught. Repenting is the fact that you understand you've affected your relationship with God and you ask for His mercy and grace so that you don't die. And you remain in union with God. And God restored David. And that's the point. And David even called out in the Psalms, he said, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember that one? And God didn't. He restored David. He's had to pay some prices for things that he's done. But he, God restored him. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about people who are willfully disobedient to God and they turn away from God's law and they, they, they do things that are in direct contradiction to that and they continually do that and they expect a blessing. And they miss out on the blessings of God. The Sabbath rests because they are willfully disobedient to God. You cannot live life before God that way. It doesn't work out like that. And we have examples of Brother Bill talked about Abraham a couple weeks ago, how Abraham wasn't perfect. But he inherited the righteousness of God because he was obedient to God. He did what God told him to do. And we have other examples of that, like Noah. Was Noah perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But he did what God told him to do. Hey, Noah, build this boat for 100 years on dry ground. Why? Because I told you to do it. He was obedient to God. And I like the guy in the temple, in the, in the, the temple in Jerusalem, where Jesus was brought in as a little baby. 
And this guy was so in tune with the love of God. And, and as an Old Testament believer, he had faith in God and was so in tune with the Holy Spirit. And he saw the baby Jesus and no one said anything to him. He just walked up and said, Oh, now I can die because my eyes have seen my Savior. Where did he get that from? He got that from walking with God. He understood that through the Holy Spirit. Now in the new covenant brings us into a relationship with God where we have God writing His law on our heart through the Holy Spirit that brings us into willing obedience to God. You know, you can't turn away from that and think everything's okay. You just can't. You're turning away from the Holy Spirit it is God that draws us into this relationship with Him. And you cannot be willfully disobedient and think everything's okay. It's not. We have to repent from that to turn towards God. In Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is a law that God has set down. If you want to live, you have to sow to the Spirit. It's not that we're perfect yet, but we're in a progression of walking with God and doing what He would have us to do. In 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, No one who is born of God practices sin. This is a continual going over and over. This is the way I live. Practices sin. Because his seed abides in him. The Word of God. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So do we always practice righteousness? Well, no. It's it's a progression. Our sanctification is a progression as we walk before God. He does His work in us so that we can be more like Him. And we won't be exactly like Him until we see Him. Then we'll be perfect. As an example, I used to smoke. You know, is that a sin? Well, it's a sin against my body. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? You have your own temple. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and it's funny, when I became a Christian, God took that addiction away from me. It was gone. Well, because I'm a little slow and kind of stupid, I kind of slumped back into that after a while. I started chewing. I used to chew this red man stuff. You ever seen the farmers? They put a bit of spitting all over the place. Really a nasty habit. And after I got tired of that, and I said, well, I don't want to get mouth cancer and all that, I got rid of that, and I went back to smoking. That was really stupid. So there I was again, sitting in the, the mire of the pig slop, you know, smoking cigarettes. And I said, Lord, help me to get over this. And you know, the second time I got over that, I had to work through it. I had to work through the addiction. And now I know that if, hey, if I get into that again, if I go outside and I have one cigarette, guess what? I'm a smoker again. You know, and now I know better. I'm a little wiser, perhaps. I know, hey, I'm not going to do that again. But the Lord didn't say, well, he's went back to smoking. I'm just going to get rid of him. No, the Lord is gracious towards us, and he helps us overcome our addictions and our problems, that we can walk with him. 
You know, and, and the Lord is looking at the end product too. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that we will be complete in Christ one day. And right now we need help to make it through these problems that we have. And He does. He works with us. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and, and now I know, don't smoke. <laughs> it's bad. It's a very addictive thing. It's, some say it's even as bad as heroin, you know, as far as the physical addiction. And the point is that God helps us to work through things. And He expects us to be righteous. He doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't want to take that Holy Spirit away from us because of our bad choices. He wants to keep us in relationship with Him. In Ezekiel 18.20-23, it says, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor the father will bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices, justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. And here's the point that God brings out. He says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? He does not. Declares the Lord God. Rather, that he should turn from his ways and live. And that is what repentance is all about. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentant is turning away from God and understanding that His law says that I'm a sinner and I have been entangled in this sin. It is so much of kind of who I am. I need a new body. Yes, I need that because this body is failing, but I also need a new person in Christ Jesus. I need to be recreated in, in the image of God so that I can do what God would have me to do. Repentance is the first step to being an overcomer. To being like Jesus is. Repentance is necessary to be able to overcome because it's a first step. Because God is able to intercede, to forgive us, and give us the ability to overcome. The ability to overcome sin is the power of God in you. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. We never want to lose sight of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in our heart and mind and he helps us to overcome these things, to be an overcomer. The title for the sermon today is Overcoming Through Christ. And as Nick read 1 John 5, we'll go through verses 5 through 8. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And this is the one who came by the water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So we're going to talk about overcoming and then we're going to talk about what it means that that about the water and the blood and how it testifies towards Jesus and who he is. So do you know that we are required to overcome the world, the devil, and even our sinful nature? And if you are to overcome the world, you will not accomplish through your sinful nature. 
You ever think about that? That's what religion is. People try to overcome things in their life with their sinful nature. That's crazy. How could that ever possibly be? It's actually the sinful nature that creates the world and it's fueled by the lies of the devil. Religion can't deliver you from anything. It's only the power of God that can deliver you to make you a new creature. And if you are to overcome the world, the devil, I think you have to start first with your sinful nature. In Galatians 5, 24 and 25, it says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And this section of Scripture is defined by examples of the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, right? Or the fruit of the flesh, which is immorality, sensuality, and idolatry. And we overcome because of what God is doing in us and what He has done for us. Yes, there's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven, but God expects us to fall in line and do what He tells us to do. In Revelation 12, 10-11, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him, their overcomers, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. Now we're going to look at those three items, the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and the fact that they didn't love their lives even when faced with death. Because those are three elements of being an overcomer. The first point is the blood of the Lamb cleanses us from our sin. In 1 Peter 1, 17-19 it says, If you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that opens the door to heaven if you choose to walk through it. Without Christ and His sacrifice, we are shut out of heaven and eternally separated from God, which is hell. We need to understand that it is the blood of Christ that delivers us to heaven. And by accepting God's gracious gift, then we can move forward with Him through life. And also Romans 12.11 talks about the word of their testimony is accepting Christ. This is what, how you move into this relationship with God. Romans 10, 8-10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word of God. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This word believe is pistis or pisteo in the verb form, and it means to trust, to, to believe, to come into faith with God. 
And faith is an action that isn't just believing God exists like you believe Abraham Lincoln exists or something like that. It brings you into union, into the covenant relationship with Christ. You can believe all kinds of stuff, but believing in Jesus Christ and who He is and confessing with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead will bring you new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit will come and indwell your heart. This trust in Christ changes you and become useful to God for good works. Even to the point where you love your life more than your own life. And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? If you see someone that's living on in the flesh, have they really turned everything over to God? No. I mean, we're all in process. And God will bring you to the point where you love God more than your own life. And if you think about that for a minute, and they did not love their life even when faced with death, isn't that being just like Jesus? Think about what Jesus did. Did he love his life when facing the cross? He said, Father, if there's any other way that we can come across this, if we can do this, let's do it some other way. But he turned everything over to his Father and said, not my will, but your will be done. He turned his life over. And now because he was obedient in that, we have opportunity to accept the life of Christ. To be affected by what God has done for us. And that's the point of this scripture. We are like Christ in that idea. Where we turn our lives over to God and we'll do whatever he tells us to do. We're obedient to God. Not disobedient. Especially not willful disobedience. God calls us to be just like Jesus. In 1 John 5, 6-8 it says, God has testified Jesus is the Son of God and has given us proof. This is the amazing thing that not only does God give us a gift where we can live in Christ, be accepted into heaven, and learn to be an overcomer, but then he goes through in excruciating detail and explains that why Jesus is true. Why he's worthy to be accepted. It's not an idea of man. It's an idea of God. And God verifies it here in the Scriptures. In 1 John 5, 6, 8, God has testified Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and given us proof. Because of God's great love and compassion, He has not only given us Jesus as a ransom from our dead souls, but is very patient with us and given us many proofs for the reality of Christ. The scripture itself is, is a verification of who Jesus is. In John 5, 39-40, it says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And in fact, the Apostle John concludes this section of Scripture that we're studying today. He says that these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing out these proofs so that we may see it. So let's check it out. So how do we know that Jesus is from God? Well, the Bible says that there are three that testify. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And the three are in agreement. What does that mean? Well, think about the water. When Jesus was baptized... That's what it's talking about. In Luke 3, 21 through 22, 
Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, said, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. So both the Holy Spirit and God the Father declared that Jesus is the Son of God. And do you know who John the Baptist was? John the Baptist was a very special Old Testament prophet. He was the last prophet from the Old Testament. He was the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. You know? And and this is what John says about what happened at Jesus' baptism. In John 1, 33-34, John the Baptist speaking says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and has testified that this is the Son of God. So not only did you have a voice from heaven calling out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, not only did you have the Holy Spirit descending upon Christ as a dove, But then you have John the Baptist, an Old Testament prophet who stood up and said, this man is the Son of God. God gives tremendous testimony to whom Jesus is at his baptism. Well, what about the blood? How does the blood testify who Jesus is? Oh my goodness. How does the blood? In Matthew 27... 45 through 54. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. When Jesus was crucified, darkness fell over the land when he was bearing the wrath of God for our sin. That's a testimony. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Eli, Eli, lamas sabachthin thani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was Jesus forsaken? Because of our sin that he was paying the wrath for. And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. They didn't really have a clue. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus had command of his own life. He yielded up his own spirit and he died. That's significant. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion, the Roman soldier and those that were with him, the Romans said this, who had just killed our Savior, the ones who had just spit on him and whipped him, This is their testimony. Now the centurion and those who are keeping him 
keeping guard over the Jesus. When they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The very ones who killed him, who murdered our Savior, they stood up and they said, this man is the Son of God. God has given us specific proof of who Jesus is. And if you turn away from Christ, you have no hope. God has given us hope in Christ. And only in Christ. We have to enter into the holy sanctuary of heaven through Jesus Christ. And there's no other way. No other way. And you say you don't have proof. It's right here. Written testimony that would stand up in a court of law of who Jesus is. And even the Romans said, truly this man is the Son of God. Not that we need their testimony. But think about that. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God said, now you can enter into the Holy of Holies through Christ. You need not a religion. You need Jesus. And people, the saints, rose from the dead. And they went into town. What do you think they were talking about? I just I was dead. Now I'm alive. Glory to God. I think that created quite a commotion in Jerusalem. And the Spirit. How does the Spirit testify who Jesus is? He gives us His Word. But also, the miracles that Jesus did was from the power of God through the Spirit. Acts 10.38 says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The things that Jesus did was through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit. And there's many examples of this. I would want to use one example uh, from John 9.24-34. Now this was a guy who was born blind. And I love this guy. I want to I see this guy in glory, and I want to come up and say, let me just sit down and listen to you for a while. I want to hear your story. Because this guy, he, he's kind of sarcastic, man. I mean, he is, he, and he lays it right down in front of the Pharisees. He's not afraid of them. Let's, let's check this story out. I think Mickey would like this guy too. I don't know. Ah, he would. Here's an example of someone who believed the testimony of God concerning Christ. So here's this guy that was born blind and Jesus healed him. And now, when Jesus went to heal a guy, usually he'd do it on the Sabbath. He did it all other days too, but on the Sabbath he'd tell him to do some work. For this guy, remember he made the spittle, he made some mud and put it in the guy's eyes. Then he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why did he do that? Because the Pharisees hated it. Because it brought out the, the hypocrisy of their religion. You can't make mud on the Sabbath. That's work. Jesus did it. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, my father's working and so am I. And it's the Sabbath. Then he told the guy, go and wash. That was probably breaking the rules again. But they did it anyway, so it brought out the hypocrisy. I love this guy. I can't wait to talk with him. So a second time they called this man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. Well, they had that one wrong. They're giving their God as Satan, if that's what they're saying. Talking about Jesus. He then answered, the guy that was born blind said, Whether the, he is a sinner, Jesus, I do not know. 
But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, how did he do, how, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the, guy, the blind guy said, and he answered them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too, do you? Oh man, this guy just hammers them. I, I love this guy. Do you want to be his disciples too? He's talking to the Pharisees. They reviled him and said, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. <laughs> and the guy responded, or, or this is the Pharisees, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. They didn't know where Jesus was from. He's from heaven. He is God. And the, here's the man's response. The man answered and said to him, Well, here's an amazing thing. I love the way he does it. Here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. Jesus is from heaven. And you don't know where he's from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This blind guy can see now, and he's spiritually awake. He knows what's going on. The Pharisees are blind. They don't even know where Jesus is from. And Jesus comes in and heals this guy's eyes, and now he can see. And the Pharisees said, they, they answered him, you were born entirely in your sins and you are teaching us. And they put him out of the synagogue, which religiously was like end of your life for a Jew. But the guy bared up to it because he had Jesus. And later in the scriptures it says that he fell down in the presence of, of the Pharisees and Jesus and worshipped Jesus right in front of him. I love that guy. Can't wait to talk to him. The works that Jesus did was through the Holy Spirit and it is God's work in him. If you see all the miracles that are listed in the Bible, they were verified. And in fact, the writers of the Bible said there's a lot more that happened that we don't have enough room to write in the Bible. But the miracles that Jesus did was to verify who he was. It verifies his message. And John 14, 10-11 says, Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus speaking. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe the works themselves. It is the testimony of God that you accept to believe Christ or not. Men wrote it down so that we could understand what happened, but it is God's testimony about his Son, the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, that has brought us eternal life. In 1 John 5, 9 and 10, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. This is all about abiding in God. It's funny that in the verse 10 it says the 
that the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And that in, in himself preposition, in, is actually in the original Greek text. And, and it has the saying that the testimony is in you. And that goes back to the covenant relationship again, where you have the Holy Spirit who writes His law on your heart. The testimony is in you. It's not just something you believe religiously and, and it's by some legal jargon you received your gift into heaven. No, it's the fact that you receive Christ. You have the Jesus in your heart and you live according to what God would have you to do. Or God corrects you and brings you back in alignment with what He would have you to do. MacArthur calls this an internal subjection, uh, internal subjective witness to the Son within the believer's heart. The fact that, that we receive Christ and you have His truth in you. When you receive the testimony of Christ and confess and believe in your heart, you receive Christ and God adopts you into His family and you become His. In Galatians 4, 6, it says, Because you are sons and daughters... God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He brings us in the community of His family, and we walk according to His ways because it is who He is and what He has written on our hearts to do. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, And this is the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, And this life is His Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. The life that we receive from God, from Jesus, through Jesus, is an eternal life. When God gives us His life, it is a life that existed before, from all eternity. It is God's life Himself. As a veteran, I could go out and and die for something, right? But it doesn't give that kind of life. You know, it's only Jesus that can give us new life in Christ because of who He is. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with us because the blood covers our sins and, and He allows us to live. It is a miracle of God. And the life is in Him, in His Son, Jesus. And, and Jesus is the creator of all life. And in John 1, 3 through 4, it says, All things came into being through him, Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Holy Spirit comes to create this new life in us when we believe Jesus and accept his word concerning the truth of God. It creates life in us. Now we can live. To God, not religiously, but really. In 1 John 5.13, he concludes this section. He says, These things I have written to, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This isn't just an expect, expectation of, I hope it's like this, because if not, I'm really in trouble. Our faith brings us into conviction that these things are true because the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit will do with you as an unbeliever is convict you of your need for Jesus Christ. 
He will convict you that you're a sinner and you need to fall before God and ask for His forgiveness so that you can have a new life in Christ and be covered by the covenant of His blood. It is through Christ that we overcome because we are in Him. His righteousness, His blood, and the Spirit of Christ set us free to serve God. And I'll be honest with you. There are many Christians who walk around with great chains around their neck because they try to live up to the expectations of God through their flesh. Religion will not deliver you to heaven. It will not do it. Only Jesus Christ and He alone and the blood of the covenant will deliver you to heaven. And then Jesus says, the burden is light because He walks with you. You still have expectations to walk by His truth and do what is right. But it is God who delivers you to heaven. Through Christ we even overcome death. And this is the final hurdle to overcome. And we're all facing it. I mean, we might be young or old, but sooner or later, you know, Death and taxes are two things that are constant, right? We have to live up to this. In John 11, 25-26, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now Jesus is talking to Martha right before He raises Lazarus from the dead. He's going to prove that He has the power over death. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in Me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. I believe he asked this to every one of us. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection of the life? That he has set up a covenant of blood that we can actually live before God in his righteousness and not our own? That's between you and God. After we're done with the offering and communion, if you would like to come forward and pray with someone, I'll stick around. But that's between you and God to work out.